0: Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today, we are going to be talking about what you need to actually have in place in order to have a realistic expectation that you can host things at your own premise facility. This is not going to be a discussion from me about Cloudy Cloud, Cloud, Cloud. I think all of you know that I think Cloud has a lot of counterparty risk, and it has a number of other challenges with it. That doesn't mean that it's wrong in all cases. It does mean that cloud needs to actually be a very cognizant decision that you're making to go adopt something that is a SaaS, which is a software as a service application, or cloud-hosted things in general, such as Office 365. So there are cases where QuickBooks Online makes a lot more sense than QuickBooks hosted for yourself on your own server or even on a hosted server anywhere. There are absolutely cases for uh, QuickBooks Online. So there is no right or wrong answer in any of these things. It is all highly contextual associated with not only the organization's baseline needs, their risk tolerance, and that includes counterparty risk too, Uh, And also availability risk. I mean, certainly, if you've got something that's cloud hosted, and then something like the DNS infrastructure of the internet burps, or you have Cloudflare that has a content delivery network failure, which actually happened recently, then uh, uh, you know it's just not going to be available. And my rule of thumb is, if something is super, super business critical to you, you either need to be utilizing a SaaS-based application that is insanely, insanely professionally run, which I would say the vast majority of SaaS-based applications do not meet that criteria. So that's a really high bar. Um, Office 365 is probably up there, and most everything else is not. (laughs) So Um, So you either need to have a cloud-based thing that is super, super, super high redundancy, resiliency, super high uptime, or you need to have it hosted on-premise. But if you're going to host it on-premise, then you also need to have your own realistic expectations for uptime, and that means you might actually need a couple servers, okay? You might actually need a couple servers for that and then have your own kind of resiliency um, out there. So what I really wanted to do with the show today was to talk through the requirements for premise-hosted things, because I continue to run into organizations that fail to understand that... There are certain requirements if you're going to actually host something yourself in your environment. And to be clear, I am very, very, very much so in supportive of organization-owned environments that they host in their own environments. I think you're reducing counterparty risk by doing that. You are probably giving yourself higher levels of uptime. You do need... Uh, to you're going to have more compliance challenges with that. However, uh, these things are actually within your control, so that's a big positive thing. So the realm is that most of these organizations out there, I mean, I work with some ex- exceedingly large organizations, like you know, utility companies, financial institutions, organizations approaching $300 million a year in revenue, And in a lot of cases, unfortunately, the internal IT staff nor the owners of the organization have a true understanding about what the requirements are in order to effectively be able to benefit from having their own premise infrastructure while still managing risk. So they're failing to have appropriate BCDR plans, for example. They fail to understand tiered access control. They fail to have IT personnel who know how to do things properly. And just to be clear, I don't think it is a very realistic expectation for most organizations out there to somehow be managing to hire as a full-time internal employee someone like myself or any of the other wizards that work at QPC Security. And that is because people of that kind of talent level tend to be attracted to more complex, more challenging, more innovative arenas that are more technologically focused. And frankly, I think we can pay better, we can compensate better, and uh, and, and that's compensating in terms of uh, non-tangibles, you know, not only from a financial perspective, but in other ways, too. And so... One of the challenges that a lot of these organizations face is that they are a single environment. And that single environment is fairly boring compared to consulting. So your are really high performers, high flyers are just not attracted to working inside of a single you know, organization that does internal service delivery only. And so I say that not to denigrate anyone. What it is, is it it needs to be a matter of people having the appropriate expectations. And that expectation is that it is an unrealistic expectation to think that an internal IT department is going to somehow be security wizards. You know, are they going to be able to craft a highly secure network layer security strategy? Nope, I've never seen it, not in almost 30 years. Not until you start getting up to the environments where you've got about 10,000 users. Because at that point in time, they do have the money and the ability to attract and retain that kind of talent. And so internal IT, it's not a realistic expectation that they're going to understand tiered access control methodologies, privileged access management, um, identity and access management, tiered access control, privileged session management. Uh, They're not going to understand the compliance things, not typically. And I don't really think it's that fruitful to hire a CISO or a compliance officer who doesn't know how to do the technical things. I've seen organizations take that approach where they'll hire someone who really doesn't have the technical ability, and then they'll basically just be a compliance person. And the problem with that is that they tend to be more of an impediment than anything else. And, you know, they're not actually contributing to solving the problem. Instead, they are just asking for data all the time and working to hold people accountable. And I guess maybe that works, but the reality in my view is that, they don't know whether or not what the IT people are doing is actually technologically sufficient. So just because somebody's engaged in the check-the-box compliance, oh, yeah, we have that exercise, doesn't mean that it's an intellectually honest response. And, and when the rubber meets the road, what you're talking about here is risk management. And so if you're going to be effective at risk management, you have to actually be responding, not just with a check-the-box exercise but with things that are truly reducing risk. Okay, so with all of that kind of preface, let's swing into a tangible example that uh, is very near and dear to my heart, which is tiered access control. Let's talk about premise-hosted password managers. This is a big thing that is going to hit everybody if it hasn't already hit them. I'm seeing privileged access management, privileged session management, and mandatory password managers on every single cybersecurity insurance application. There are cloud hosted solutions for some of these things and the things you gotta realize is, I think this is very similar to the whole SASE market. The SASE market claims to say, oh, you don't need VPN anymore. We've got this SASE. And you don't need a network layer, conventional network layer security anymore. We have SASE. Okay, I've looked at every SASE on the market and, the feature set that they have in comparison to mature technology like a network layer security appliance, they've got like less than 5% of the functionality of a network layer security appliance. So this swings right into the number one thing that I say about cloud is if you can't do security at least as good in the cloud as what you were doing it on-premise, then I don't understand why you're going to the cloud because you're giving up a necessary level of security. So the sassy tech, even though it's been around two and a half years, is still ridiculously immature. Okay, Well, cloud-hosted password managers, they haven't been around for 20 years. These are not sophisticated, mature tech. And they're getting better on a regular basis. They're getting better. But there's so many of them out there that are just utter trash. I mean, they're basically like minimum viable product and minimum viable product doesn't meet the needs in the vast majority of cases. So there is one cloud-hosted product that I like and I'm not going to mention it here because I'm not doing a sales pitch for them. However, it does not function as a privileged access management or a privileged session management server. They're just starting to kind of go live with that functionality. They basically bought a third-party product, and they're integrating it with their product. And when you start looking at the kind of enclave that you need to have for the things, the total cost of ownership for privileged access management, privileged session management, when you're really talking about IT resource management in general, what's interesting is you come up with a totally separate list of requirements for things than uh, what you would present for end users. So in my exceedingly experienced opinion on this particular topic, the cloud-hosted password manager is a good idea and sufficient for your end user base when it is selected correctly, when it is set up correctly, which is not something that I would... There's not a single internal IT department that I know of or that I've ever had experience working with that would have the kind of competency to set it up correctly. So that's another one of those things where executive management needs to have an expectation that this partnership needs to exist between your IT security, cybersecurity consultancy who affects, effectively is acting as your virtual information security officer, and then, yes, your internal IT department. But, you know, it's got to be this deep collaborative uh, process. It can't be, you know, contentious. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. And that's all got to be based upon mutual respect, open and honest communication, you know, consistent goals, and consistent vision. Uh, if there's conflict there, then it generally just doesn't work that well. I'm not saying that it can't work at all. I'm just saying it doesn't function well. Uh, So anyways, the cloud-hosted password managers do tend to work pretty well for end users when they are implemented properly and uh, an appropriate product selection is made. And so that's a pretty high hurdle to run itself. But then you get into the whole realm of IT management and IT service management where you have privileged access management, privileged session management, identity and access management. There, uh, there is a lot more necessary functionality on the IT management side for things like administrative-type activities than what any end user whatever do. Because even if you're looking at somebody as high-flying as a CFO – you know they they're not doing SSH sessions. <laughs> you know? I mean they're they might have some banking credentials yeah. Uh, but that all works very well in a in an end user style password manager. So when you start having these more sophisticated requirements, you deeply need to be looking at more sophisticated, more mature tech. And you need that tech to have super, super, super high availability it now becomes a tier zero asset, right? You're looking at this element of, we're gonna store all of our passwords in this thing, even if it's only the IT team that's storing all their passwords in that thing. Well, that then becomes a tier zero asset. You cannot possibly be having supply chain data leakage off of that thing. It's gotta be locked down super hardcore. And the way you have to think about this is that if you have any expectation that, that server, where that thing is hosted, and hopefully you're going to have a couple servers so you could either be active-active or active-passive, but you have your own level of redundancy and resiliency going on. Everything that is a foundational level presumption that must be in place, your presumptions and assumptions that must be in place, these are uh, things that... You have to be, as an organization, 100% fully committed to maintaining in a uh, fully capable and fully maintained state. Not like, oh, well, we're going to hire QPC to put this in for us, but then we're going to allow the internal IT department to manage some of the underlying infrastructure, and the internal IT department doesn't do a fully sufficient fully competent job of that. And as a result, what I've actually seen in some organizations is where um, people who are frankly incompetent, and and I don't mean, I do not loosely use that word. I do mean absolutely incompetent. If that person worked for me, they would have been terminated. So I've seen absolute incompetence in judgment with regards to internal IT doing network layer security modifications. So when those network layer security modifications damage the security profile that was around these assets, then it has defeated the security protections that exist for those assets. So you know, if you think that your network is not a tier zero asset, you're delusional. You know, if you can defeat the network layer security, and if the network layer security was a significant percentage of the protection around an asset, well, then that's a tier zero asset. So uh, other things that you have to have as absolute rigorous adherence if you're going to have these sorts of resources on premise Is you have to have extremely tight supply chain risk management rules going on and management practices, processes, procedures at not only the software layer, at the change management layer, at the network layer security, even at the DNS level. I mean, it's got to be the whole kit and caboodle. And I frankly just don't see that kind of capability as inherently pre-existing skill sets inside of most IT departments. Now, can they learn that stuff? Absolutely. They can learn it under the tutelage of cybersecurity experts and information security officers like those of us at QPC Security, and that is part of what we do for our clients. But it is not a realistic expectation for internal IT to just be able to do some research on the Internet and have this stuff figured out. People like myself, we don't write books telling you how to do the wizardy stuff that we do. We don't do that. Um, and part of it is because it's so contextual. It's, there is, like I said earlier, there is no one right way to do it. What we do is security as an art form. And it's also security vigilance, which is why a concept that says that you can hire somebody to come in and do a project for you and then your internal IT just starts managing it all by themselves going forward, that's not the greatest paradigm. Okay, so another baseline requirement we have is we have to have the ability to do offline upgrades for software and systems that are involved in a tier zero. You know, you have to be doing things like downloading the offline updater and uh, doing hash checks to check the, you know, the MD5 hash, maybe the SHA, 256 hash, whatever the appropriate hash checker is for that, to verify that the file you've downloaded is actually the file you should have downloaded. And so there, is, this is actually how you know Solar Winds got whacked, and there are other, um, you know, there are other software supply chain risk breaches that have happened because people were not doing hash checks. Another baseline requirement is that there must be extremely adept underlying server, network, power, infrastructure management in place. So if you don't have a backup generator, if you don't have the right UPS equipment, if it isn't programmed properly, if it isn't being monitored and maintained properly, then you're not going to have the kind of uptimes that you think, Need to be there. And I've already addressed this whole topic of any level of incompetence or a lack of absolute discipline and diligence in the management of any of the components of that solution or anything that it relies upon can compromise the security of the solution. And it can ultimately defeat the security profile of it. And this is frankly why organizations are getting, you know, they get hacked. They get hacked because. Uh, too much of the time, internal IT, uh, it just follows what a you know a point vendor has to say. Now, a point vendor is completely different from your strategic partner. What we're doing most of the time is strategic partnering, where we have a very rich and deep understanding about what's going on at a particular organization, and then that knowledge informs, the conversations that we have with the stakeholders at the organization, and as a result, you typically end up with the best uh, because everyone is participating in that decision-making process about what is the strategy going to be. It doesn't happen when the IT guy reaches out directly to some, you know, phone vendor the phone vendor says, Oh, yeah, we we've got this solution for you. We can do this thing. Nobody does any supply chain risk management on the phones. And you know, nobody's looking at was there more cost-effective alternatives? Was there a a, a better, higher level, more strategic plan that could have been done that could have uh, had good economies of scale? How does this thing meet with our overall network and systems layer security, uh, how are we going to do vulnerability management on it because we are required to do so by our cybersecurity insurance? What risks does this new system present? So instead of those things being properly addressed by like myself as the information security officer, instead internal IT being allowed to just go by whatever they want Uh, and this too frequently happens because the CFO is not enforcing the procurement policy, or they don't have a procurement policy, then uh, it becomes a thing like, oh yeah, we bought this thing, and then now we've got to call QPC to find out, oh, it it doesn't work. And in the meantime, what we find is that internal IT is uh, breaking the network layer of security because they are just listening to what the phone system vendor has to say about, what needs to be done in order to make their garbage system work. And I do mean garbage, insecure, trash. And so I'm telling you this because these are lessons you should be learning from. Like, don't do that. It's just a disaster. And it's very expensive, right? If, if, all the, if your job is you're the owner of a business or your executive manager of a business, your goal should be to be utilizing the resources of the organization most effectively. And most effectively, means not doing wasteful things that have to be redone or that are going to take your organization's position in a reverse direction where something is getting done poorly. So now it's going to have to be remediated later on, and it's going to be yet again another expensive disaster that has to be corrected when the cybersecurity insurance renewal period comes up. And all this can be avoided by having a proper procurement policy that is enforced. Nothing should be getting procured when there is not a strategic plan for it, when there is not a procurement policy written for it, when there is not an engineering plan for how it is going to be implemented and how it is going to be maintained and supported. That all better be clearly in place before anything is procured. So if you don't have that procurement policy, I highly recommend you put that in place. But then your executive management team has to have enforcement they've got to enforce those things so that no one in the organization can just go do willy-nilly so another requirement is you have to have rapid patch management within 48 hours or less this a lot of this comes into you know the bugs whatever the bugs are they've already been out there the software vulnerabilities have already been out there for a period of time they've been tested by the software vendor and then now the patches finally become available so these risks have already been out there for a period of time You can't be playing patty cake, waiting and waiting to be getting the patch installed. So again, this comes down to security diligence, security discipline, absolute ongoing vigilance. And I don't see internal IT departments doing that well because internal IT's primary responsibility is to respond to end user support requests. And the end user support requests are always going to take higher priority than patching critical systems. It's just always going to be because they're humans who are saying, I need help. You know, especially if it's a a VIP who's saying I need help. Well that's going to take precedence over everything. So I mean people are just also not prone to say, oh well, you know, I need to patch that server too, so I guess I got to work till midnight. Uh, that gets old and you can really burn people out with that. So it's not a realistic expectation the internal IT is going to be good at juggling competing priorities. And those competing priorities are, I can't simultaneously give precedence and priority constantly to end user support requests and then simultaneously give priority to all the security posture things. I mean, like these are competing priorities and I'm I'm telling you it never works out. So, Another requirement that's a baseline requirement for a lot of premise infrastructure is you need to have always-on vulnerability scanning that's uh, backed by active monitoring and remediation, and you know, and also active monitoring. Gee, do you even know when the stuff is up or down? And active monitoring is not just up/down; it is looking at every error message or warning that comes out of systems, like. Just yesterday, uh, I saw a system that was still working. From the end user's perspective, it was all hunky dory fine. And that yet I was picking up alerts that were saying that the uh, hard drive had some corruption and it needed to be proactively addressed. So, proper monitoring will allow for something to be handled proactively before it blows up in your face. You know, for example, you need to know when power has gone off at a facility. And you need to know um, whether or not UPSs are blipping because maybe there's spikes, surges. Maybe there's a thunderstorm going on. Uh, is it a brownout? Are there spikes? Is it then a blackout? How long has the power outage been going on? You know that kind of monitoring is absolutely necessary. And the active monitoring. And the vulnerability is ongoing vulnerability assessment and remediation. Again, is it's a competing priority with end user support. So it's just an absolutely unrealistic expectation that internal IT is going to get that handled. I mean, I've never seen it turn out that way. So you also need to have multiple first line backups per day with multiple encrypted offsite backups per day. That's uh, and and boy, you better have some very very rich bare metal recovery failover documentation, so forth. You have to have two physically disparate sites with significant server network power infrastructure with automatic backup generator service and redundant internet at both facilities. You have to be proficient at managing all that infrastructure like SQL Server replication over WAN links. You have to be proficient at maintaining active-active or active-passive server configurations with automatic network failover and DNS failover configs. An absolutely rigorous discipline must be adhered to with regards to uh, documented standards for vault creation, password management, system administration, application updates, database system updates, OS updates, third-party patches, network layer security management across the entire stack at every site. One laxity can create a hole that can cause failure in the entire system. Uh, and then, you know, your IT personnel or whoever has actually got management authority of it has to have uh, extreme levels of training and vigilance with regards to complex privileged access management approaches. And they have to have regular security appliance, uh, compliance and audit reviews, and you basically need to have a CISO involved that's got all the technical chops. And a lot of CISOs that are out there, they don't have the technical chops. They only know the compliance side. So give all this some thought next time you're like, "Ah, we're just going to have internal IT do stuff and we're going to host it all on premise. Again, I'm not all gaga for cloud. I just want you to be making informed decisions.